You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Because they didn't receive him and he had failed. He failed. And here's my first question Why did he fail? Very important question. Why did Moses fail? Let me read you what I put in my notes. Because he attempted to do the work of God in the power of the flesh. If you're like any other human, chances are you've experienced your fair share of failure. As a believer and follower of Christ, it's important to reflect on each time you failed so as to have a better chance of success in the future. As Pastor Danny will teach you in his message today, more often than not, our failures as believers are due to us relying on the flesh rather than the spirit. In his study, you'll learn by the example of Moses and how doing things in our own ability often leads to disaster. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Exodus chapter 1 as he begins his message, Moses' painful path to humility. me to the book of Exodus. And we're specifically going to look at Exodus chapter 2. But let me give you some background. We just finished Genesis. Joseph has died. He was 110 years old. God fulfilled his purpose through Joseph's life. Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up down in Egypt. Over time, becomes second in command in Egypt. And during the famine, God uses Joseph as the savior of the world. Everybody comes to Egypt to get grain for their need. Joseph is now gone. 110 years old, he died. Remember, he had brought his dad and all of his family down to Egypt to provide for them. Well, down in Egypt, they multiplied. That's one command that we've had no problem obeying God on. Be fruitful, multiply. We've done a very good job. And they did. But as they began to multiply these Hebrews uh, in Egypt, uh, a Pharaoh comes to power who did not know Joseph. And that's the beginning, Exodus chapter 1. And the, the Hebrews are multiplying so much that the Pharaoh goes, man, if we go to war and these Hebrews decide to side for our enemies against us, we're in trouble. We got to do something. And so the first plan is we're just going to make them slaves. We're going to oppress them, put them to forced labor. They do that. But they continue to get blessed by God and continue to multiply. Second plan by Pharaoh. He goes to the Hebrew midwives who assist uh, the Hebrews in childbirth. They're kind of like nurses for them. And uh, he says, now, if uh, it's a boy, you kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. But the Hebrew midwives fear God more than they do Pharaoh. And so 
They don't do what Pharaoh says. But when he comes to him and says, what's the deal? These guys are still multiplying. They're like rabbits. And they say, you don't know Hebrew women. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're burly. <laughs> they're tough. And before we can even get there, these dudes, they're, they're already given birth. They already had the kid. And so they keep multiplying. Here's the next plan. Okay, now, now, if it's a boy that is born, you take that child and you throw him into the Nile River. How are you going to get people to throw a kid into the Nile? Well, you got to know the history of the Egyptians. They worshiped gods of the Nile. And so this would become an act of worship to the gods of the Nile to take this child and sacrifice the child to the God so that you might receive blessing. They began to do it. And with that background, chapter 2, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, made it waterproof, Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. She makes a little baby boat. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. What's going to happen? Is a croc going to get him? Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it, saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She says, that's a great idea. Go. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Unbeknownst to Pharaoh's daughter, she goes and gets mom. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. What a deal. (laughs) You get paid by the palace. You're on the palace payroll to nurse your own kid. I love the sovereignty of God. So the woman took the baby, nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. It means to draw out, saying, I drew him out of the water. You talk about the sovereign hand of God on someone's life. Now, I want to give you a scripture. Don't don't turn to this, but I want you to get this scripture from the book of Acts about Moses. Acts chapter 7 and verse 22 tells us this. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So as he grows up, in the palace, known now as the daughter of Pharaoh's son. So he's a prince in Egypt. He gets the best education. And as he grows up, he has a a place of position. He has status. He has authority. He knows how to get things done. He's a great orator, powerful in speech and in action. Chapter 2 of Exodus Verse 11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. Now, 
Pause with me on that. I don't know if you've ever really meditated on the fact and the truth that Moses, one of the great characters of the Bible, was a murderer. He might have called it justice, but the law called it murder. Next day, he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and he thought what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. That's a long way off. That's desert land. Where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. This is a macho dude. He goes against seven guys, and he wins. He's powerful in speech and in action. Well, when the girls returned to Raul, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They said, well, it's Egyptian, really a Hebrew, but it's Moses, grown up in the palace. He rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And they said, see, they do his daughters. Well, where is he? Why'd you leave him? Bring him home for a meal. Verse 21, so Moses agreed to stay with the man. And you're obviously fast forwarding here over some time because it says this guy gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom. Any Gershoms here? <laughs> Probably not. Because once, once you find out what the name means, you're like, I ain't naming my kid that. It means alien. Hey, alien! And it tells you his mindset here. Because he said, I've become an alien in a foreign land. He's dejected. <laughs> He's a failure. He's far from the palace now. He names his kid Alien. Now, I want to compare some Scripture with Scripture, and I want to do so because it helps us to really get a really clear picture of what's going on in Moses' mind and Moses' heart. And it's not what it appears on the surface. What do I mean by that? Leave Exodus. We're coming back to Exodus. Keep a marker there and go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 7. I just referred to Acts 7.22 about Moses' education, his powerful speech and action. But in verse 25, same chapter, here's what it says. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. He thought after he killed the Egyptian, and then he goes the next day to try to break up a quarrel between his own people, two Hebrews, he thought they would understand God had sent him to help them, to rescue them. But they didn't. Let me give you one more piece of the puzzle from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. And this one, to me, sheds a whole new light on the story of Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. Here's what it tells us. 
By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger. He didn't flee to Midian because he was afraid of Pharaoh. He wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid of the king's anger. That's what it tells us. And if I match that up with the story in Exodus and what I just read in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 25, he left because they didn't receive him and he had failed. He failed. And here's my first question. Why did he fail? Very important question. Why did Moses fail? Let me read you what I put in my notes. Because he attempted to do the work of God in the power of the flesh. You might know the story of Peter there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Jewish leadership come to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out his sword, whacks off a dude's ear. Peter's motives were pure. His motives were sincere. He was just sincerely wrong. He's looking to defend Jesus, and Jesus says, put your sword away. That's not the way we're going to do this thing. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, I gave you the best definition I could of what the Bible calls the flesh. And the last half of that definition goes like this. The flesh yields obedience to natural tendencies. Rather than the inspiration of the Spirit and the direction of the Word of God. It was natural tendency for Peter to go, i got to defend, defend Jesus. Well, pulls out his sword, whacks off the guy's ear. He was going for his head. Terrible shot. <laughs> but he was sleeping instead of praying, so that added to it as well. He was obedience to natural tendencies rather than the inspiration of the Spirit of God and the direction of the Word of God. Now, This does not mean at all that power is not involved in the work of God and the will of God. doesn't mean that. Zechariah made it very clear. And here's what Zechariah tells us. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm teaching this last night. And while I was teaching it, I actually heard in my mind the voice of Pastor Jim Simula. Having the privilege over the years of being in conferences with him, hearing his teaching, hearing him share, and the few times actually having the wonderful privilege of sitting down in personal conversation with him. Had the privilege, my wife and I, of driving him from Tampa to Merritt Island years ago to speak at a Calvary Chapel conference, and it was just me and her and Pastor Jim Simula. What an honor. And I heard him as I began to teach this point last night saying, if you step forward, then as soon as you step forward, the Holy Spirit says, okay, if you got it, I'll step back. If it's by God's Spirit, God's power, then you can't take any of the credit. None of the credit. I love one of the things Pastor Jim Simula says, if you can explain it, God's not in it. So we know why Moses failed. Now, next question. What did Moses need? Well, that's easy. Needed humility. One definition, it's a lack of arrogance or self-dependence. My wife, in checking over my PowerPoint as I asked her yesterday, she said, you don't want to say independence? I said, no, I want to say self-dependence. 
It's also connected with a deep sense of unworthiness. And I don't get the wrong idea. Unworthiness doesn't mean we're not valuable to God. We are valuable. You're worth more than many sparrows. But there's, a, there's something between our value to God and our own ability. You know, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And of course, there's an idea of submissiveness with humility. You're not depending on yourself. You're depending on God. I find that in the Bible and in life, some people start out in life humble, but later become proud. One fellow that I thought of, he was one of the kings of Israel, his name Uzziah. And I want to read just one statement from Second Chronicles about Uzziah, because Uzziah started out really well. Uh, he basically had a pastor over him that was teaching him the word of God and sharing with him the word of God. And as long as he submitted to that, then God blessed him. He started as king as a very young lad. He grows up, and then as king, he becomes very successful. And it tells us in chapter 26 of Second Chronicles, the last part of verse 15, his fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped by God until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall, and it always will. Some people start out humble and success sometimes, and what can be blessing ends up being a curse if you forget that it's God that got you there. There's a verse in Deuteronomy that says you better be careful when you gain wealth that you don't come to the place that you think it's your ability that gains you this wealth. You say, well, I started the business. And I've been working hard, and it's because of me. It's because of God. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have anything. You say, well, I've been pretty smart in my investments. God gave you that ability. And let me tell you, just as quick as God gave it to you, he can take it away. You better be careful. Some people start out humble and later become proud, and sometimes success is what leads to that pride. But then you have just the opposite. Some people start out prideful and later become humble. I thought of King Nebuchadnezzar, story in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar goes out and says, is this not the great Babylon that I have built by my power? God says, I'll show you. Ends up seven years living in the wilderness. Basically goes insane, lives like an animal. At the end of that time, it says he came to his senses, and God gave him his sense back. And this time he says, now I know God, God's the one. He's behind it all. He can humble who he wants to humble, and he can raise up who he wants to raise up. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't figured it out yet, let me clue you in. It's better to be humble than to be humbled. You know what happened to Moses over time? The Bible tells us, Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, over time, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Wow! What a change! He starts out powerful in speech and action, well-educated, 
depending on all of that, goes out and fails miserably. But something happened over time. And Moses becomes the most humble man on the face of the planet. Years ago, I'm playing tennis with a guy. He was with our church, and he became our first missionary family that we supported. And we supported them very healthy for years, and they did a great work in another country. And as we're playing tennis, we finished, and we're sitting in my uh, car, and we're sharing a bottle of water. And he looked at me, and he, he asked a question that I wasn't ready for. I didn't see it coming. He turned and looked at me, and he says, Danny, are you a humble man? You know what I said? I said, yes, I am. (laughs) Now, for you new people, these people are laughing because they know me. And I hope you're laughing because you know I was being sarcastic. I have the gift of sarcasm. And then I got serious with him, and I, and I said, I said, how many of us can judge your own selves? If you really want to know if I'm a humble man, go ask my wife. I didn't know he was really going to do it. He did. <laughs> I think she said at that time, well, sometimes. <laughs> I think she would say today, Don't ask her. (laughs) Moses became the most humble man on the face of the earth. How'd that happen? Didn't happen overnight. There's a path to humility. There's a path. Here's Moses' path. He failed. You might be sitting here this morning and you go, I'm a failure as a father. I'm a failure as a mother. I'm a failure in life. You're a failure, whatever, to whatever degree. I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but if I said, how many of you feel like there's areas in your life you failed in? I mean, I think a lot of hands will go up. And the ones that didn't, you got a problem. Failure in life. Moses blew it. And he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing the good thing. He thought he was doing God a service and the people a service, but he failed miserably. He lost the authority that he had. He lost the position in life that he had. He lost the status that he once knew. Now, if this happens to you, you don't, yeah, you know, you know, you're not in this situation in life and you're going, man, I'm so thankful God's so working in my life. You feel miserable. But God is working in your life. He had to relocate. I should have put that in all caps. You talk about relocation. He goes from the palace to the desert. And he got a new job. Here he is, a prince. He's riding around in Egyptian chariots. He's got servants And he goes from that kind of life to taking care of a bunch of stinky animals for his father-in-law. Then I thought, how long did it take? I call it oven time. It's 40 years. No! 
40 years. Danny has been walking you through several books of Scripture in a study called Gleanings from the Old Testament. He's been highlighting important stories and characters, demonstrating how they fit in God's kingdom plans. These people you've been meeting didn't have the benefit of the entire Bible to live from. They didn't know Jesus personally. They only had the promise of salvation to come. In fact, many of the people you'll continue to learn about had to trust God to fulfill the promises that He had made to them, even though they wouldn't be fully realized even in their lifetime. God continues to make promises today to you and to other faithful followers. Those things may be fulfilled while you're still alive, but it's possible that the promise is something for the future, something that you have a part in but won't see fully until you're with Him in heaven. Today, be courageous, stand firm in what the Lord has told you, and follow Him faithfully anyway. You have a part to play in God's kingdom plan, so walk it out with confidence with your Creator. We're so glad that you joined us today on The Living Word. We'd like to pray for you during this study. Would you send us an email and let us know how we can do that? Connect with us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. That's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Danny next time to continue studying in the Old Testament right here on The Living Word.